Hello to all our listeners, and welcome to this edition of Coffee and Conversation, Workplace Wisdom Unleashed. This is the 2020 Parallax Partnerships podcast that we intend to run as a series of conversations entertaining experienced senior business leaders and influencers in the leadership sphere over a cup of coffee, a bicky, and a chat. This month, I'll be talking to Andrew Burton, drawing on his previous experience as MD of Thrifty Car Rental and more recently operating as an entrepreneur and a business angel supporting a number of businesses across the UK. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Andrew, uh, it's a great pleasure to uh, welcome you to Coffee and Conversations with Parallax. Thank you very much for joining me on this rather lovely sunny day, but via our virtual connection. Well, thank you for inviting me on, Chris, and it's a pleasure to be um, joining you for a virtual coffee. <laughs> well, exactly. That's a, it's an interesting challenge, isn't it, having virtual coffee? But I, I raise my glass, my mug to you. Now, for those who don't know you, um, you, you I've known you for a number of years, and um, today we'll be drawing on your experience as a previous MD of Thrifty Car Rental, and more recently you've been operating as an entrepreneur and a business angel supporting a number of businesses actually in the South and, and, and across the UK really. The most recent of which I, I recall in the care sector, is that right? Yes, that's right, Chris. I had a foray into the social care sector where we ran a home care uh, operation. It was a small operation that we were looking to decide, did we like it, did we want to grow it? Uh, we had that for four, or I had that for four years with a colleague. So um, I'm very mindful of the challenges that all the social care companies are facing at the moment in this critical time. Yes. Um, my heart goes out to them because it, it was challenging in normal circumstances. So it's going to be exceptionally challenging in current circumstances. Yes. Um, I mean, the, the theme of our conversations is, if you like, workplace wisdom unleashed. And I think that perhaps in the in that sector, particularly that you've been working of, I'm sure there have been many examples where stressful situations have raised and made themselves known to you as it were uh, that you've had to deal with and there may well be some stories that you can share with us today that might give other people inspiration about the stresses and strains that they're having to deal with when especially with people who are infirm or not able to take care of themselves effectively yes the 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 home care sector is full of many incredible people it's an unbelievably hard job you Uh, get up early, you go to bed late, you have split shifts, you're on low pay. It's got all the components of unsatisfactory employment. Um, And it's it's what the way the sector is because of the rates that are paid or available in the market. So as a consequence, the the chronic problem with that industry, which was there before and is, is still there now, is a lack of supply of carers. That, that changes your behaviour. I come from a world where you put out an advert and for a marketing assistant and you'd get 10 great candidates come in and you'd select three and then they'd all be great and then you choose which one do you think will be the best of those great candidates. In the world of care, there's such a shortage. You're constantly seeking new carers and you are tempted to compromise on quality because you know you have 80, 100 clients needing somebody to visit them. So it, it, it's a whole different arena. So how do you it, tackle that? How do you make sure that you're lifting people's spirits rather than sort of almost succumbing to, the, to that challenge? Well, I, 
it's all about the, the staff recruitment, which was originally going to be sort of one of our key focuses was on how do we recruit staff? Because my, my belief has been over all the years and all the business I've been involved in, if you get the staff recruitment right, so many of your problems down the line either don't appear or are minimized. If you get staff recruitment wrong, then you're constantly dealing with poor performing employees or disruptive employees or difficult employees or um, at worst dishonest employees. The, the care sector made all of that a lot harder because there wasn't enough high quality candidates. So in, in very rough terms, I would say a third of our carers were brilliant all the time and you could rely on them to do anything, go anywhere. They, if they had to get up in the middle of the night because someone had fallen over, they were there. A third of our carers were great most of the time, but occasionally something would happen that was really took you by surprise. Mm. And I can share a story on that if, if that yeah. would be helpful. Yeah. And, and a third of your carers, you are concerned about their performance and their reliability. And they are being churned through not only your company, and, but other care companies. And the, the, the hardest thing is the poorer carers, of which there are some, and there are many, sadly, circulate between the companies. And because they've got experience, you think they're going to be good. But we, you go through that churn of them hopping from one company to another. The best solution for that was to try and find somebody who wanted to be new to care that you could train in your ways and they wanted a change in lifestyle. So we, I remember one lady we had, she managed the garden center but wanted to do something more, more socially minded uh, and she came and joined our team uh, and she was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And she was your perfect new start employee. She was trained in your ways she didn't have any experience. She could pick up the skills because it's not rocket science. Obviously, you're caring for people. But the desperate shortage meant staff recruitment was supremely hard in that sector and remains so. So in terms of, I mean, the success of Verticomas that you achieved with that company um, uh, from our previous conversations, I recall that, you know, you managed to move the dial with these people by holding up the ideal of how you wanted people to be treating others and where you wanted to go with the business is that not yes i i would say that what we managed to do the, the great guys would have thrived anywhere to be honest yeah. they, they, their nature they were good-hearted people very responsible and very reliable it was probably that middle band where we managed to turn up the dial so through great support and training and reminding clear procedures good communication we we managed to reduce the number of colloquially i call the mad carer incidents mci <laughs> something really went wrong that you, that you hadn't anticipated unfortunately the the ones who are not good because it's so character driven as a job um the technical skills are low which makes it a low barrier to entry but the character and compassion skills are high and you you can't you can't change somebody to become compassionate um right. and it's only when they go and um meet clients that you find out what they're really like and the feedback you get from the clients so i would say we turned up the dial in that middle sector 
but a, a bad egg was a bad egg, unfortunately. And, right. and we did, in fairness, we did take some of those on, not deliberately, but it was how we dealt with those and react with those quickly that was important. So in these, these, this climate that we now find ourselves, and if you were advising um, people in the care sector and, it, and in fact in the health centre, because people are coming back in and people are trying to get recruited, aren't they? Because we're going to need as many bodies as possible to support the NHS and to support the, the people who are elderly and infirm. Um, what would be your advice to those recruiting? Well. In, in normal times, I wish that I'd been more aggressive in recruiting staff and paid them for downtime until I won the customers. In a time of crisis, it's almost any, any pair of hands will do. Indeed. Uh, and the, the CEQC, I know, has relaxed some of their requirements. They're very stringent requirements on care companies because they know that we're in a critical time. So uh, it, it's not quite the case of beggars can't be choosers, but there is a sense of at the moment of, you know, not, not you wouldn't take on anybody, but where there's a 50-50, you'll give them a chance. Yeah. You, you wouldn't take a 90-10, obviously. Sure. Uh, but I think in, in normal times, it would have been build your quality carer base and then add the customers. What we found that we were doing is because there was so much demand for care, we were always chasing, we had too many customers and not enough carers. Yeah. And that's when you are tempted, which you have to resist the temptation to take on substandard carers. Yeah. But in this current climate, it really is all hands to the pump. It strikes me in this space that there is more of a common purpose here. Everybody is in the same boat, is, has the same exposure, effectively risk. And so there's quite a, a high degree of fear it seems to me out there at the moment with people being personally concerned quite rightly about their own safety and their own immediate family safety so then asking them to go past that point and then trying to help others is quite a step for a lot of people in the first instance but there is a call to action here it seems there there is and the the recent news, obviously this is where we're talking pre-recorded, so, but with the recent news that 7,500 people have responded to the call is unbelievably brilliant. That uh, They are frontline. They're going frontline into hospitals and some of those people will get ill. It really is akin to signing up in an army yes. and offering to go to war. It's slightly different in the, in the home care sector because what's the real difference is let's say you had a business with 100 clients, you effectively have 100 different isolated wards. Yes. So it's a very different setup to a hospital scenario. Uh, that makes it more complex to manage. But um, the, the fear here is the other way around, is that one of your carers may get coronavirus and go in and infect one of your clients. And I'm, I'm sure we can't be far away from every carer being tested once they've got enough kits, if there's a self-testing mechanism, because that would be that would be the lethal um, blow to people. I mean, they'll all be have proper PPE equipment with gloves and yeah. uh, taking all the normal precautions. But it would be a frightening thing to be a care, a social care provider at the moment, knowing that you could be infecting the very people that you're 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 trying to love and look after. Indeed. So perhaps we could move on in terms of when you've got these stressful situations, 
How did you, and you had these people who you're trying to move the middle dial, how did you inspire them? Um, it's a good question. It was, it was a number of tools in the, in the locker box. We latterly ended up creating sub-teams to try and, uh, because it was a very lonely business in the care sector because you're, you're working on an individual route primarily on your own except for double up calls. So we created teams with team leaders and we would get them together to share problems, discuss solutions, to try and bring some, some sense of team. It's incredibly difficult to create team in sure. that environment. In the thrifty days, it was great. We'd go out to the pub, we'd go to meals, we'd have powwows at the end of the day with a glass of wine. We'd get inspirational trainers coming in that would do some teamwork exercises. The, the truth in care, as a comparison, is you can't get all your staff together in one go because somebody is always needing care. Yes. So to create unity in team in a care setting, home care setting, is very, very hard indeed. Um, so we created sub-teams to, to do that, and we created exercises amongst those sub-teams rather than as one big corporate uh, teamwork. There may well be some, I would imagine, some opportunities to sort of recreate that virtually, I would imagine, today using tools such as Zoom and Zoom groups and all that sort of thing, breakout meetings. Yes, well, I think we've all, we've all become experts in using Zoom suddenly, haven't we? <laughs> yes, amazing. <laughs> it, I mean, we've used, I use it once or twice before, but we've had several Zoom meetings. And it is great, especially if you know the people, so you don't have to build that initial relationship. Um, if you've got a good relationship and you're working together, it's great. Yeah, I, th I think in terms of staff management generally, it, it's about that there are so many things which you can do to manage them well. My, my fundamental belief is it starts with a clear job description. Right. I really think that is the cornerstone. And in that job description, we put our company core values. Because what I... I when you look to employ a staff member, you're looking for two things. You're looking for the technical skills to do the job and you're looking for the character skills to fit well into the team. You get one of those wrong and it can be um, very, you can have a poor outcome. So you, you need both. And so what we did, particularly latterly in the care sector, we had their technical job requirements, but then we had their character attributes that we wanted them to demonstrate because compassion was was critical in the care sector so when we did a job review with them we measured them against how well they were reflecting the character traits we wanted honesty integrity compassion teamwork all the usual things you'd expect to see in a core value statement and i think a lot of companies many most of the companies i've worked with don't have the, those core values as part of a requirement of their job description but it's much better to say when someone is dishonest and we had I hate to say it, we had more dishonesty in the care sector than in any other business I've been involved with Wow! and therefore it was vital that we could hold them to account that saying part of their job description was to act honestly with honesty at all times. And it's not just theft, we had theft from, from clients. The honesty in you know, documenting what's happened with the client, honesty when there was a problem, uh, what, was, what, was, what was happening.
uh, to give you a slightly light-hearted, we had something which I called Dentigate. <laughs> this is a true story, um, not to terrify your listeners, but we had a client whose teeth went missing. Right. And they, the client was being looked after 24 hours a day, seven days a week, day and night. So, of course, the client's daughter phoned me and said, what's happened to mum's teeth? So I said, well, goodness me, I have no idea, but um, let me do some investigating. So I spoke to the first daytime carer, and she said, I know exactly what's happened. The nighttime carer has deliberately stolen the teeth to make it look like I've stolen them to get me into trouble and lose my job. So I went to the nighttime carer and said, what's happened? She said, I know exactly what's happened. That daytime carer, they weren't getting on clearly, clearly. Um, uh, uh, has stolen the teeth to get me into trouble and make it look like I, I've stolen the teeth. Both of them raised a grievance against each other for defaming the other. Yeah. Uh, and 800 pounds worth of teeth, replacement teeth later, which we, we had to pick up. But the point of that story is, is you know, honesty. Yeah. You know, one, one of those was not being honest. It was very difficult to know what to do with that because how, how can you tell which one is telling the, the truth? And how did you finally resolve that? We, we spoke to the client and we said that we would remove both of the carers from the client uh, and replace them with alternative carers. But interestingly, the, not the client's daughter, but the client themselves, the old lady we were looking after, individually liked both those carers and wanted them to continue. So they were looking after the client well, but the spat that they had between them... Yes. So basically we said to the customer, we will do anything you want. We will remove one carer, we'll remove both carers, or we'll keep both carers. And, and at the end of the day, with the teeth replaced, she said, look, mum likes both the carers. I don't want to disrupt that. That gives a little flavour into in the life of... Uh, yes. But the point is, is, is we were able to, to say as we were, were going through with this carers, if this happens again and either of you accuse them of being dishonest, we'll take it very seriously. So I'd say job description, clear guidelines on what you need to do on a day-to-day -day basis, but also the way you should be doing it. And I've, we obviously we had that at Thrifty where people were not acting together as a team. So teamwork is part of our core values. You have to act in the interest of the team as well as yourself. It's much easier then to pick someone up and say, you know, great, you know the technical stuff and you're producing your reports on time and you're you're delivering your KPIs for your particular job, but you are so disruptive, you're, you're fundamentally not performing in one of the key aspects we require of you. So my encouragement to anybody listening is get your core values sorted out and implant those, embed those in your job description to hold people to account. Because as any entrepreneur or business manager or team leader will know, you spend 90% of your time on the problem employees. You don't spend your time with with the ones who are motivated, doing well, nice to work with. You're always fixated on that problem employee or problem employees. And one of the challenges as as a leader is is sort of stepping away from that and recognizing that maybe some of your managers or whatever are getting sucked into that eighty twenty in reverse Pareto principle, as you say, that eighty percent of their time is being spent on twenty percent of the employees, and and 
that isn't serving the business or the community or the purpose of the organization that you're trying to achieve very well at all because it's getting dragged back by yeah. that behavior. I mean, if I, if I, I mean, I'm still involved in businesses and helping businesses, um, but the, the, there is an outstanding, if I could do all this again, yes, bit of advice I would give. And it, it, it's, it's the process of recruitment. And now I've, I've had, I've shared two experiences. In the thrifty days, we, we had a great pile of CVs. Yeah. In the care sector, we had a paucity of CVs. But let's assume most businesses are getting good applicants to fulfill a role. When you've chosen somebody, so invest time in getting the right person. You won't get it right all the time. Have a clear job description with your core values embedded. Support them to the max during the induction period. Because that's really, you want to be able to say at the end of the induction period, we've given you everything you needed to get over the line. And if in spite of that, if you still haven't got over the line, we feel fully justified in not, not pursuing this with you. Now that's more for junior staff because invariably the senior staff will sail through the induction Indeed. probation period. And how, how long would you recommend, um, or what do you think represents a reasonable induction period? Because they vary enormously between organizations. I think for junior staff, so in Thrifty, our junior staff were reservation agents or delivery driver checkers. I, I think because they're young and inexperienced, if they're going to fall over, they tend to fall over pretty quickly. Yeah. So I'd say three months is fine. Okay. For your senior staff, I would, we, we only ever did six months. And even after six months, the, the key thing is we found it was the, it was more the way they interacted with people that was good or bad rather than the technical skills. Because the people who are applying for the jobs normally have the technical skills. Example I'll give from the world, uh, from my vehicle rental world, we recruited a senior member to our team who had a CV to die for uh, and experience that was just perfect for the job. They were brilliant. I mean, you couldn't have written a better CV for the job that we were looking for. We took them on board um, and they came on full of enthusiasm and, you know, convinced us and, and three of us took the decision to take them on board. It was a little bit of a rocky start, but because of the CV and the experience, we thought this person really will, will work through it. Come month four, five and six, his management of people was so poor we ended up realizing there was a problem yeah and the feedback we were getting from customers was beginning to paint a bad picture um and so um in that in, in that case it got to month six and we ended the contract just before we had to go full time but it, it was still difficult and it's never pleasant I'd say you, six, six, beyond six months is well, how long do I have to prove myself? I think six months is enough. So three for junior staff, six for senior, I would say. It's interesting because the mindset of that is very clear, but it's actually three to six months is a significant amount of time. It's not two to three weeks. Give people proper support, proper engagement, give them the tools to deliver the job um, and then be there to support and engage them, as you say, such that 
there is no reason why they shouldn't be able to deliver the tasks that you're asking them. Yeah. I th I, and I think another thing I would, I would do, which would you believe this happened at my son's grammar school? Um, they were recruited for a deputy head and he was a member of the senior prefect team and they got the senior team of prefects to interview the candidates. Which is unbelievable that students would be interviewing a deputy head. But what was amazing when he came home and shared his experience, it, it was very clear to the students at who, who would make a great deputy head in the eyes of the students and who wouldn't. And I actually think for a senior position, in hindsight, I would get one or two of the people who would work for them to be part of the process, not the not the determinant of who you choose, because they, they might choose an easy life. Yes. Um, but <laughs> certainly to feed input, because I think that's a valuable, it's, it's sort of like a 360 degree analysis is now commonplace in, in job reviews. So why not a 360 degree interview process? Indeed, and indeed some companies do exactly that. But going back to my, my sort of macro point on the big one lesson, yeah. it would be, I, I heard, um, an interview with the ex-chairman of British Gas. I think he was on um, Desert Island Discs. And the advice he was giving to people starting out in business, you need to be keep reminding of it. Do not tolerate poor performing employees. You have to deal with them. Yes. And, and, you know, it, it's, it's very difficult, but, you know, it, in, in our world, you, you, you have to, obviously you have to do everything legally and properly, but finding a way of not letting those bad apples ruin your, your team and ruin your business. I, I had a particular example of a team leader who I didn't deal with quick enough and I kept giving her the benefit of the doubt wrongly in hindsight and she basically destroyed the team. Okay. And... You know, I would never do that again. My lesson there was you have to deal with those people quickly. And, you know, I gave them a chance, I gave them another chance, and I gave them a final chance. But by the time the final chance had been happened, the team had, the team had up sticks and left. So I was, just le I was just left with them at the centre having to rebuild the team around a person I knew wasn't fit for the job. So my, my advice to anyone who's got a poor team leader is grasp the nettle as quickly as you can because it will never fix itself. A yeah. nettle is always a nettle. <laughs> I, I made that mistake and, and lived to regret it. Uh, I understand entirely where you're coming from. The, the shift uh, I think is going on in organisations now is that whereas 20, 30 years ago, the argument was, yes, take that person out and deal with it as quickly as possible, they would remove them from the organisation. There's, a, there's an increased sentiment of recognizing that whole person. There may be a reason why they're acting in that particular way that is not either their own fault or they're experiencing personal pressure at home and things that you're not aware of. And you start to recognize the whole person that people then effectively repurpose that person. Because as you've said, they're not bad at everything. They're just bad at that bit. Because they actually say, well, actually, do you know what? You and I are going to have a fierce conversation. I'm terribly sorry, Andrew, but you're really not an IT professional you think you are but you're not and you're not able to do that technical component what you are is really really good with people and I think we've yeah. got to take you out of that area where you think you're fairly comfortable but unfortunately you're ruining the systems in the business but I do yeah. think you 
could use it over here in customer service. I think you'd be fantastic with interactions with the customers. And I think where some businesses now are really looking carefully at their staff resource and saying, hang on a minute, where is the expertise? Where is the, in this whole person? Let's look at the whole, whole person. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And we, we had a great example of that um, in, in the rental business where we had somebody, again, I'll, I'll, I won't name departments to protect them, um, but we had a, um, a, a good member of a team who went through the ranks and came, became top of the team. And it just wasn't working out. That's almost like the Peter principle that she'd been promoted beyond her capability, okay. which is a real challenge and that happens frequently. We ended up doing that exact process that you said she was great at many things. She just wasn't great where she was at. So we moved her out and across a similar, similar seniority, but in a different department. And she thrived and she totally took off and uh, did, did really well. So, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's not a case of you just cut the person and leave them to, to flounder in the unemployed world. You, you want to do everything you can to make them succeed. But I think it's knowing that point when you've done everything, when you've been the most reasonable employee you can be, the most supportive the most helpful, there does come a point where you have to say, I cannot use you in this team or in this business anymore. Yeah. And right now we have extraordinary circumstances and um, uh, everybody, the government and um, employees are looking to employers to support them in a time when there's raging uncertainty about their ability, irrespective almost of their capability to actually just earn an income such that they can survive. So yes, there's a whole new world of um, opportunity, if you like, for uh, for employers to take the higher ground just now for a period of time as much as possible. And there yes. will be a percentage of those who just use this as an opportunity to slash and burn. And there will be those who maybe have a longer term view and can actually um, see the great benefit of supporting their workforce over the medium to long term. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, it's it's a huge, a brave step from the government. Obviously, when this goes out, we'll see what's actually happened. But um, that the furloughing and the 80% of furloughed staff, I think the question that's interesting, they must have done their sums on this, but how many staff will be described as furloughed is an interesting question. Yes, yes. There will be obviously genuine furloughs. Yes. There, there might be some disingenuine furloughs, but... Obviously, they've taken the view that 90% of it will be genuine and there'll be an element of yeah. skullduggery going on to try and get some money, but it's a price worth paying for the greater good. Yeah, well, we need to keep the engine turning, don't we? I mean, I'm reminded of a company called Barry Waymiller, who you may or may not have heard of, but they went through a financial crisis many years ago um, and they're a very, very strong company, billion-dollar company. <clears throat> but they shared the problem with the workforce. They shared the fact that they were going through a challenge and they had a choice. They could either lay people off or they could apply a, um, a universally right down a grading of salaries by 10, 20 percent in order to keep all the workforce on. And well, long story short, they elected for the latter and were able to keep the people on. And of course, that uh, created an amazing amount of loyalty within the business. Um, yes. They are stronger than ever and they have a very caring, very person centered, considerate culture. Um, and their leadership piece is, is one that a lot of people I would recommend to go and investigate because they have a... Yes, a yeah, terrific. 
The, the most extreme version I heard of that was um, there's a charity called CAP, which deals with debt counselling and helping people who are struggling financially. And in their early days, the, the demand was so much for their services, but the giving, because it was a charitable venture, was yeah. not up their overhead. Uh, and, and each month they sat with the team and said, what's the minimum we can afford to pay you without ruining your life? <laughs> Um, and and the, the, they were amazing, the staff. They said, well, I only need 50%, or some would say, well, actually, I need, I need all of it this month. And they, worked, they, they repaid the shortfall as the donations came in. They don't do that today, by the way, but in the early days. But an amazing example of employers and employees working together yes. to get the right period. That's um, a great example. It's a great example. And hopefully, uh, there'll be, you know, it's all about communication, isn't it? It's all about talking. It's all about and everybody has commonality in, in their problems and challenges right now so uh, yes talk and uh, maintain that dialogue it seems to me then the better they're likely to be in the coming months yes well um up on that point i think that's probably a good place for us to stop and just say look thanks very much for sharing a coffee with me and having that chat it was really interesting and uh, i think there's some very interesting ideas and some support opportunities that people can draw upon uh, in the future so thank you very much andrew yeah thank you very much and we'll see you again soon you will. Take okay. Bye bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Andrew, which reminded me of the theme of setting out your expectation in others from a positive standpoint and the principles of unconditional positive regard. As ever, I am reminded of a quote, and today this is from Johann Goethe, 18th century poet, who I've used before, and he's a mine of information, but simply said, if you treat an individual as he is, he will remain how he is. But if you treat him as if he were what he ought to be and could be, he will become what he ought to be and could be. Until next time, to you and your families, stay well and stay safe. If you've enjoyed this episode of Coffee and Conversation Workplace Wisdom Unleashed, then please remember to subscribe to the podcast and share on your social media channels. Equally, if you would like to give us some feedback, suggest future guests, share your stories or find out more about leadership, team and organisational development, we would love to hear from you. Do contact us via our LinkedIn pages. These links can be found in the description associated with this episode. Ready to unleash your workplace wisdoms? Well, what are you waiting for? 